Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Steve Lindsay, CEO of Garden Spot Communities and the Garden Spot Village Continuing Care Retirement Community in New Holland, Pennsylvania. From blazing trails in the pocket neighborhood trend to launching the community's own hot air balloon, Lindsay has a reputation as a senior living innovator. It's no secret that COVID-19 has made bringing different groups of people together much harder than before the pandemic. But that is Lindsay's focus as he plans the next evolution of Garden Spot communities. In fact, he says creating community is Garden Spot's North Star. One of the things we're always looking at is, is how do we create community and how do we create opportunity for connection and for purpose. In the future, Lindsay believes there's an opportunity to blend urban and intergenerational senior living concepts to bring people of all walks of life together. And the organization is currently exploring ways to make the model work. But before we get to that interview, I wanted to promote our next Build conference happening here in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Build is an annual event dedicated to the latest trends in senior living architecture, design, and innovation for owners, operators, and developers. Hear how industry players are redefining senior living development and planting their stakes now to reshape the future. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. And now, here's my interview with Steve Lindsay, CEO of Garden Spot Communities. Steve Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. I wanted to start off with just sort of a general state of play. Over these past few months, you know, I have heard many providers tell me that they are seeing recovery in their markets. So I wanted to ask you at Garden Spot, what are you seeing in terms of move-ins and leads and occupancy right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And, and just thanks for the opportunity to join with you in this conversation. It's such a pleasure to talk about some of these issues and challenges that we're facing in our field. We have certainly seen things return to some sense of normalcy as, as we have come out of COVID. We're, we're starting to see interest pick up. You know, we're kind of back to our normal state of affairs. So people are coming through for tours. They're connected. They're interested in moving in. And I think one of the benefits we had in all of that is we never stopped uh, through the course of the whole pandemic experience that we've, we've all encountered. We never stopped marketing to people. We never stopped moving people. And so our occupancy, we were fortunate that our occupancy didn't really take the hit that, that some others experienced as a result of that. We were able to, to stay pretty full all the way through. So we're glad that it's over, but glad that we were able to weather that fairly well. Right. I remember before this whole pandemic had started, you and I had talked quite a bit, actually, about your pocket neighborhood concept, Sycamore Springs. It seemed like it was, you know, sort of on the rise before the pandemic. I remember, you know, writing about that trend. So I'm curious, how did this pocket neighborhood concept perform during the pandemic? And then also, you know, now that we're starting to see some recovery in markets, and hopefully we'll, as a country, start to move back towards normalcy from now on. How do you feel about this this pocket neighborhood trend going forward? Yeah, we're really excited about that whole model. It performed well for us initially. People moved in. They, they were very complimentary about the, the life that they were living there, the connection they had to their neighbors, the relationships that they were able to share. 
And so as we went into, you know, the whole 2020 experience, we were actually in the midst of an expansion uh, with our pocket neighborhoods, building another 50 cottages in four different neighborhoods. And uh, so we completed that construction as we worked through the pandemic and finished selling those homes and people moved in in the midst of the whole pandemic experience. And what we found was that it really functioned well, that, that people had, because they had those pre-existing relationships, because they knew their neighbors well, because they had that sense of place and that sense of neighborhood, they had a kind of a naturally existing bubble when the pandemic hit. So whereas a lot of people, you know, out in the world in general, tended to hunker down in their homes and, and be, feel very isolated, we encouraged our people to think about that whole bubble concept and, and find your bubble partners and your bubble mates and join in with them in a pact. And that's what happened at Sycamore Springs. People already had those those relationships. And so it was very natural for them to continue to maintain relationships because there's great outdoor spaces and front porches. People could have those outdoor opportunities to visit and, and share in community with other people. And so it just, it really fit the bill, ideally, as we went through it, a challenging time. And as we come out of that challenging time, it just continues to, to grow and deepen the relationships that, that were already existent there. So you, you expanded the model once before you, I think you had said that you added 50 cottages to the concept. So any more expansion plans ahead that you can see in the future? Yeah, we're continuing to grow. We still have some some land available. We're working on a master plan to uh, continue with that. And, and we certainly think that a portion of that will have additional pocket neighborhoods in it. But we're looking at some other pretty neat concepts as we go into that, uh, that would have a little bit higher density of housing as we go forward. That's a really great segue into something else I was curious about. As you look across the industry, are there any other trends that you see, I guess, both in the industry and, you know, at Garden Spot that you think are going to really have staying power, you know, again, as we hopefully start to move away from these pandemic times? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's some clear trends based on the needs of people. And one of the interesting things is, is trends tend to shift and, and they change. But our deep-seated human needs, wants, and desires haven't changed in thousands of years. And so I think if we, if we continue to hold those up as our North Star, and then we reflect on the consumer trends and shifts that are occurring around us, it gives us an opportunity to create something that is at once, at the same time, it's on trend, but it's also uh, kind of timeless in, in the way it meets the needs of people. And so that sense of community, you know, at, as we develop new programs and services and campuses, one of the things we're always looking at is how do we create community and how do we create opportunity for connection and for purpose? Giving people an opportunity to have that kind of home base where they branch out of, where they're finding their purpose and they're finding their calling at this season of life, and they're supported in making a difference in, in the world around them by their neighbors and, you know, by, you know, the, the whole team. It, it just makes such a difference in life. And, and so we're always looking for new and different ways to do that. We're looking at urban as an opportunity. And that's something that's that's popping up a lot. And, and so we certainly believe that that's a great opportunity going forward. But our goal is to combine that urban experience with a, a truly authentic intergenerational experience. 
and put those together. We believe that the future, there's no one silver bullet, you know, to hit the marketing need. And, and so there's different people who are looking for different needs and different, they have different desires in the way that they want to live. And there's this whole group of people out there that says, I'm not sure I want to live in an age-restricted community. And so does it give us an opportunity to create something different, to create authentic community? It's something we're pretty good at. We've had a lot of experience creating community, but it's always been a little more on the age-restricted side. Can we use that same skill set and those same development opportunities and lessons learned to create something that appeals to a wider generation of people and creates this uh, kind of central point where and community where people come together and cross over that, that generational divide and begin to have opportunities to find purpose in connections with folks of a different generation. One of the things we get real excited about is when older adults begin to take the time to reflect on their life, to harvest the wisdom of their life, to take stock of their life experiences, and then use all of that to invest it into the lives of younger generations. You know, it's people who have something to say, you know, who have lessons to share, who have wisdom to depart to, to other people. And there's such a need for that in society today. So if we can create those communities where generations come together, they live together, they share life together, we think that's a really exciting opportunity for the future. So that's one of the things we're working on as we go forward. But that sense of finding purpose in, in whatever way and whatever you know different aspect is meaningful for each individual is, is huge. I know you're still working on this concept, I uh, but I'm very... Uh intrigued by the idea of of intergenerational senior housing only because I think that's just a very tough nut to crack without getting too deep into this or revealing any secrets, although I'd love to re- you to reveal secrets. <laughs> what might this look like in the future? I mean, are we talking like a blend of like maybe even multifamily and senior housing or what, what does this look like? In- yeah, great question. And one of the things is, as we researched it, we found that kind of some of the models that existed that were known as intergenerational were really an age-restricted community or an age-restricted building that was dropped into a larger community. And that's not bad, but our hope and our dream is that we can create something that's a little more authentic. You know, in the, in the little town where I grew up in, you know, it, it was only a, a few hundred people that lived there, but everybody knew each other and it was all different generations. And, you know, older people looked after the children, regardless of whether they were, you know, their own children. People just connected and shared ideas and shared experiences and and shared skills across the generations. And it, it happened because we all kind of lived in that same space. It wasn't your space and our space. And I think that's what we have to get to. And there's certainly, you know, all kinds of challenges in terms of, you know, the housing laws and those kind of things. But our feeling is that, that we can serve older adults best, at least that segment of older adults who want to share in an intergenerational life, that we can share them best by moving beyond our kind of preset ideas of what senior living looks like and get into an experience where people are actually living next door to each other and sharing the common spaces and sharing in life. And a big part of that is, you know, the, the whole process that community planners and placemakers work on, you know, that we have to think beyond just being architects, beyond just being interior designers and creating beautiful spaces. 
we have to think beyond our senior living skill set of providing great programs and services, but we have to create places that are authentic, where people come to for a variety of different reasons, but they're bumping into those same people day in and day out, and they start to know each other's names, and they start to develop relationships very naturally. It's not a program thing. It's just real life. And so that's what we're envisioning is a place where folks of all ages live together and share life together in something that that looks and feels pretty normal, pretty natural. We're still in the early stages, but uh, that's what we're working on trying to develop. I want to switch topics. That's very interesting, though. So I want to ask you what you're worried about right now. This seems to be sort of a strange time where, where, you know, it's sort of an inflection point for the industry. But before I talk to you about, you know, kind of the worries, I, I think you're probably a just from talking with you, I think you're a kind of a glass half full kind of guy. So what are you optimistic right now as you look across the industry? You know, what what makes you feel good or what gives you hope? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that, Tim, because I, I think we have a lot of opportunities to be optimistic. As we look into the future, if you just look at the sheer demographics of the world around us and realize how many folks are going to be coming into our sector in the future, we have huge opportunities to meet needs. And not just from a business perspective, not just from a revenue perspective, but this opportunity that we have to change the world, to change our society. We live in a culture in you know this century in America that doesn't really have a place for older adults. And how amazing would it be if we took on that challenge, if, if we recrafted that idea of what it means to grow old in this society? And if we gave people not only a voice, but also an opportunity to shape their voice and an opportunity to learn what it means to become a person of wisdom and what it means to uh, become that true elder in the tribe, so to speak. I think we have just enormous opportunities to create a much better world in the future for everyone just because of our position point in, in working in senior living. And so I look at all of that and I think that the opportunities are, ju are just endless as we look forward. Now, there's also a lot of challenges, as we know, and those tend to take priority so often, but the opportunities are, are boundless. So I'll ask you about one of the challenges that I think has been on a lot of providers' mind right now. And, and I want to remind our listeners, we're talking on July 22nd, so kind of towards the end of the month. But as of now, anyway, we are again seeing COVID-19 case counts on the rise across the country, I think. And I know this is driven a lot by, you know, unvaccinated folks. And I know also that older adults, at least looking at the, the data, I think have had their shots at a higher rate than the general population. So it seems like it's not the people that are living in senior housing that are driving this, but I could see some of this stuff leading to some of the, you know, restrictions or the lockdown procedures of, of last year. I mean, I don't think there's any indication that it will, but, you know, I, I think it makes us all anxious to see those numbers go up again. So does this worry you? And I guess help put this into perspective, or how do you think about this? Yeah, I think it would be naive of any of us to not be a little bit worried. You know, we, we kind of just emerged from this dark cloud of COVID-19 and came out and, and let the sun hit our face. And then we look on the horizons and, and see more clouds forming. And so we have to certainly be aware of that. We have to prepare for that, you know, in some respects. I think the benefit is 
you know, whereas the last time we got hit cold with it, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know, you know, what the protocols would be and how we could best manage that. And so it was a, a time of great learning, but it was incredibly stressful on everyone. I think as we look to the future, we have a little bit of comfort knowing that if we have to go back into another scenario, we've got some lessons learned. We've got some tools in the toolbox and we can capitalize on that to make sure that we still give people an opportunity to live fully, even if they have to live in a pandemic environment. And I think that's key. I think one of the things that we saw through this initial stage of this pandemic was the impact of isolation, you know, the impact of just that ongoing anxiety of not knowing what's next, the constant change. It, it seemed like the, the guidance was shifting about every three and a half minutes as, as we went through. And that took a toll on people. But we are a resilient people. And even our older adults that we serve have lived long lives and they've seen a lot. And so this was different than anything they've seen before. But we've seen people really be resilient in the midst of that. So that gives me hope that even if we have to go into another period where things are challenging, that, that we can do it even more successfully than we did last time. Staffing is another challenge. Um, it's it's always sort of been a challenge, at least for in recent times in the senior living industry. But now it feels maybe even more of an underscored challenge. So I guess what are, what are you seeing in terms of pressures on the staffing side? And then I, I also want to get your take on what you think it will take to attract and keep workers in the senior living industry, especially after such a, a tough time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking with uh, our residents recently, and I described it this way. I said it, it almost feels like a UFO sort of traveled over our country and abducted half the workforce. You know, it's it, there's just not people there to work anymore. And so we're struggling with that uh, in the same ways that, that many others are and trying to, to find our footing and figure out what the key is to success going forward. Certainly wages play a part of that. We hear that constant drumbeat of, you know, we've got to be able to pay more. And I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think all of us would love to be able to pay, you know, high wages to every single person that works in our organization. But we also experience that tension with, you know, with, with the payment systems that exist right now and knowing that especially in the healthcare areas of our campus, that that's, that's problematic, that, you know, Medicaid doesn't cover half the costs, you know, of providing care to people. And even in, you know, the, the residential areas of our campuses, you know, people who are paying for all of this are living on fixed incomes. And the higher the wages go up, the more challenging it is to offer a product to mid-market people, to, you know, people who are not very wealthy. And so as a country, I think that's that's a, a bit of a crisis and, and we need to address that and think about who are we as a people and how do we care for and provide for opportunities for the less than wealthy. And so, you know, that's certainly a struggle. But I think the other part and I think one of the really beautiful aspects of what we do is that we have this opportunity to tie into the purpose of, of what we do, the meaning and value of serving an older generation. 
and being in relationship. That intergenerational connection I was just talking about a little bit ago happens day in and day out with our team members and our residents and, you know, folks who are literally in community together here, you know, every week, you know, throughout the year. And one of the things we have worked really hard on, and, and I think it's it's paying some dividends now, is developing a singular culture in our organization where it's not a workplace culture, an employee culture, and a separate resident culture, but it's one group of people living and working and sharing life together. And those deep relationships that occur really pay off. People begin to get hold of the impact of the work that they do. We had a, a, a woman who was retiring out of our laundry. And this was a couple of years ago now, I guess. But as she neared her time of retirement, she went to her supervisor and said, I want you to know, you don't need to worry about filling my position. She said, I'm already interviewing people to take my place. And he looked a little surprised. And she said, no, she said, this job is too important to leave it up to chance that you'll get the right person. She said, I, I can't leave my job without knowing that the right person is in that role because there's so many people that count on us and what we do. And we make a difference in the lives of people. That is huge. And if, if we can get people to understand that every role in every organization has that kind of responsibility, but also that kind of an impact on the lives of other people, I think that's huge. And I, I think that sense of purpose and meaning at work helps us significantly. I think investing in people's future, uh, giving people an opportunity to think about what their goals are and how they want to approach life. One of the things we did years ago is we got rid of our performance appraisal system and swapped it out with a coaching model. And so every year, instead of sitting down and being critiqued by a supervisor once a year, all of our team members sit down and talk about their goals. What do I want to do this year? How do I want to live? And how do I want to approach my job and my life? And then their coach's role is to help support that and encourage that and bring resources to bear so that they can be successful in that. I think that's huge. I, I think we just have to understand the opportunities that people have and create better opportunities in our organizations for people to learn and grow and become the best version of themselves as they come to work every day. And I think if people have a vision of what that could look like, it starts to look much more attractive. And even if we can't pay the highest wages in the community, I think there's the people that we want, the people who have the heart for what we do are going to be attracted to those kind of jobs. So we clearly have to pay better. We have to pay a living wage. That's table stakes. Beyond that, I think we have so many resources that other businesses don't have to create lives of purpose and lives of opportunity. That's a great point. You know, yet another challenge <laughs> has been dining, as I'm sure you well know. I know you, you and I talked about dining at the very beginning of the pandemic back in 2020. I think we talked about dining in March. Obviously, so much has changed since then. I guess, you know, tell me about sort of what dining is like at Garden Spot today. You know, you, earlier you had mentioned that, you know, you feel like things have, have by and large kind of, you know, there's, they're moving back towards normal. So I'm curious, like, how do you get to a normal in dining, which is, I've heard, can be very tricky to do? Mm -hmm. We had a lot of conversation about that as, as we went into the pandemic and, and things were locking down and, and things were restrictive. 
we had to make adjustments. Dining was always a kind of a community event for us. People came together and, and they enjoyed great food, but they enjoyed great relationship around the table. And so to strip that away was almost tragic and so hard. So we went to a, a takeout and delivery, you know, kind of model as we went through. But we tried to keep that full breadth of menu options available for, available for people. We talked to a lot of organizations who were saying, no, we need to streamline our menu. We need to make it simple so that we can get it done and get it out and, and delivered. And our approach was with every, all the other losses that people were experiencing, to have a great meal or to have a couple great meals in the course of a day could be that one perk, that one kind of bright light in the darkness. And so we continue to try and find creative ways to allow people to dine, outside dining, delivery. Uh, we've been doing more and more pop-ups, you know, where some event just happens on the campus and people can come out and, and get the food. And then if they're comfortable sitting around outside, they can do that. Or if they want to take it back to their apartment or their cottage, they can do that. But even our dining venues have come back. So at this point, we're fully operational again with in-house dining. And we have the community coming back again and, and joining in. So not just residents, family members and, and friends and guests and grandchildren and others, but other folks who would normally come to have a meal on our campus uh, just as a dining experience are starting to come back. So again, it gives people some degree of normalcy in life. And so we're, we're pleased with that. But I think, you know, one of the things we tend to think about dining programs sometimes in our world, and I think you know, we have to shift a little bit and think about developing great restaurants. And so, you know, that, that great restaurant in everybody's neighborhood that they love to go to is the one where you go in and they know your name and they know what kind of food you like and they can prepare it just the way you like it. And they know what table you like to sit at. And so it feels like your family. It, it transports you to another place. It's a great environment to be in, but it also feels at home at the same time. And so that's the kind of space I think that, that gives people a sense of I'm going to be okay because I'm with my people and you know I, I'm in my community here. And so the more and more we can do to not think about a program, but to think about how do we serve people well as a restaurant? How can we be entrepreneurial in all of this and create a great experience for folks? You know, it's been, there's a great book on the experience economy, you know, that it's more than just goods and services. It's creating experiences for people. And I think the more we can do that, the more we're going to help people kind of get through this whole thing. Now, I know that the industry is is pretty competitive right now. With all of that recovery happening, you know, I've, I've, I've heard from multiple providers who have told me that they feel like the industry is basically in, you know, many, with many communities are in lease up. Again, with all of this occupancy, uh, folks need to, to build back in. I also remember before the pandemic that you and I had talked about how in Lancaster County, where you all are, the senior living providers there had a very cooperative spirit. I think I remember the phrase was coopetition. Yes. So given the fact that the senior living industry is so competitive right now and everyone's competing for, you know, in many markets, the same residents, how have you been able to maintain that spirit of, you know, coopetition through these very competitive times? Mm -hmm. 
You know, Tim, I think one of the things that has been to our benefit is over the years previous to this, we really have developed that sense of, of collegiality, you know, that, that we're in it together. And so as we went into a crisis time, we entered into that time with a mindset of abundance. It's so easy to develop a mindset of scarcity, you know, that we have to circle the wagons, that we have to, you know, protect what's ours. But instead, what we found is, you know, the different organizations in Lancaster County really came together. And so, you know, as one group would learn something, they would share it with the others, you know. So there was a, an organization near where we are who their maintenance team figured out how to kind of rework their HVAC system to create negative pressure. Instead of just sitting on that and thinking how, you know, we got the advantage over everybody else, they shared that out with everybody else so that everybody could do well in that regard so that we could all protect our people in, in a more effective way. You know, policies on window visits, policies on in, infection control and cleaning and, and all those kind of things, strategies for how we encourage staff to get vaccinated, all of that and so much more became fodder for discussion, became a group discussion and a group think opportunity. And the sense that we're all going to be more effective if we do this together, if we ride this storm out together. And so I, I think we saw that. In the midst of all of this, we've kind of worked to take it to another level. Uh, we were talking about staffing. And we have been working over the past year through the pandemic and just before that, on an employer resource network where a group of employers, in this case, about half of it is senior living organizations, but there's also food distribution companies and, and other businesses come together and hire a success coach to come alongside entry-level employees who are just starting to be their, their kind of coach and advocate and confidant and mentor and encourager to be their social workers sometimes, to put them in touch with other resources that they need. But the whole idea, again, is if we come together, we can take on that extra level of support for our team members in a way that doesn't break the bank for any of us. And so a group of about nine businesses have formed a joint venture in the midst of all this to help support each other's and together our employment environment and to help our team members be more successful in their lives together. You can't do that if, if it's a spirit of competition, but you can do that if you have that sense of, yeah, we, we compete, but we also cooperate. I remember seeing a press release, I think recently, or, or a bit of news on, um, I think it was the Garden Spot website, actually, about how I believe that you all are part of a new group called, I think it's the Collegio Group. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, Collegio. So, yeah, the Caligo group. So what is that? And, you know, why did you uh, join it? It really goes back to that same sense of we think we need scale. We think we need to to be prepared for this shifting and changing world that we live in. You know, one of the things we, we keep repeating over and over again is that the world is changing faster now than at any other time in human history. And the rate of change is only going to increase as we go forward. You know, it's not going to stay the same. And so we have to think about how we're going to adapt, how we're going to prepare for that, and how we're going to be nimble in the midst of that. And to do that, it, it takes resources. It takes brain power. It takes, you know, people who can carve out a little bit of time to think about, you know, the, the over the horizon kind of issues, to think about creative and innovative opportunities to respond to the challenges that we have. 
We see a lot of movement around mergers and affiliations in that same vein. But we also know, and from our experience, certainly in this part of the country, there's a lot of really top-tier senior living organizations that want to stay independent. You know, they're not quite ready to make that leap into affiliation. But that we, we all know that we need to be viable and we need to address all those complex issues that we're faced with, with the limited resources that we have available. And so the Caligo Group was a basically a, a group of independent, nonprofit, senior living organizations that said, we're going to commit to each other's success. We're going to come together and we're going to work cooperatively and we're going to, again, form you know this organization that goes beyond just some discussion, but really gets people involved in innovation, really gets people involved in the challenges uh, that we're facing as we go forward. And so that's really what is evolving as, as we get started with that. It's, it's that very authentic, partner-centered learning community that goes the next step in, in terms of creating new opportunities and creating innovative change in our field and in our organizations. So it's something we're really excited about. Uh, we've got some great partners in that, and we are just thrilled about the opportunity to, to think as we, not just as me, to come together and, and have that collective genius of a lot of really smart, bright people that are all in alignment and thinking and working together. So that's that's what Caligo Group is, and we're thrilled to be a part of it. We've been working on it for years. It was oh, probably three or four years ago we kind of hatched the idea and have been nurturing that along. And so, again, as we came through this last pandemic year, it was something that came to fruition. I want to make sure I mentioned this. These are not just providers in your area. These were providers that are actually in different areas of the country, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of a mid-Atlantic kind of group, but it's all it's not all immediately local. Great. I want to finish out our discussion by asking you about sort of what you're working on now and what you think is going to come next. Before I do, though, you shared with me a, a wonderful analogy that I wanted to ask you about again. So, and my apologies if I if I butcher this analogy or say it in a way that you didn't say it, but I think I remember you saying something to the effect of, you know, senior living if it doesn't change fast enough, risks being kind of like the outhouse. And what you meant by that was, you know, outhouses, they still serve a function. You can still use them. But if you have a choice between using the outhouse and, you know, your indoor plumbing bathroom, you're probably going to pick the bathroom, not the mm -hmm. outhouse. The outhouse still works. It still functions. You're probably just not going to pick it. So in that same vein, you know, I love that analogy. How can the senior living industry at such an important time right now how can the senior living industry work towards not not being the outhouse yeah. in the future? Yeah, I, I think it really takes a lot of effort to not get stuck in a rut, to think about change, to be sensitive and tuned into the changes that are occurring in our marketplace around us. I think we have to recognize that we're in a post-demographic society, that we can't fit people into neat little boxes based on their age or their race or their gender or their faith or any other thing. People want to experience what they're seeing all around them in the world. And, and so that gives us a great challenge, but it gives us enormous opportunity to shape something new and different but if we're going to do that, then we have to be intentional about looking at some of those trends, taking some risk, risking failure, because that's certainly a part of it, but tapping into 
you know, some of the, the changes that are occurring all around us and then just riding that wave. So as we think about that, yeah, I already talked about that kind of urban intergenerational experience. You know, that's something that, that we're excited about learning more and developing more as we go forward. We have a new part of our, our Sycamore Springs campus that, that we're master planning and have some fun new concepts that we think are going to not just create great senior living community, but create great community. And our goal is to not create a, a great place for people, older adults to age, but a great place where everybody would want to live, you know, that, that just has this sort of this magnetic pull that, that people just want to be there and hang out there and, and live there if, if the opportunity presents itself. So that's, that's a big part. I think affordability is, is going to be a, a key, uh, quite honestly. You know, as we look at this aging demographic, we recognize that there is such a huge group that could never afford to live in a, an existing senior living campus. So what do we do? How do we respond to that? And so trying new ways, finding new ways to meet that need is, is going to be huge. And looking for new revenue streams. One of the things we've been working on doing is, is thinking about how can we create revenue streams to support our mission and support our purpose that are maybe independent of our residents' bank accounts. And so that's that's certainly something that, that uh, we have to think a little more entrepreneurially. We have to think a little more creatively. And we have to kind of build this whole new model as we go forward. But recognize that it has to be flexible, it has to be nimble, and it has to be able to change. Because by next year or three years from now or five years from now, the world is going to look and feel very, very different than it does today. I think you've, you've answered this question sort of piecemeal throughout our conversation, but I guess what's next for Garden Spot? You know, we, we've talked a lot about the things that you're working on, but is there anything else uh, before I wrap up today that, you know, any other cool things you're working on or just anything else that you would uh, want to mention or plug? Yeah, I, I think we've, we've talked about it. One of the things that we're really excited about is just kind of thinking about this intersection of, of senior living and technology and, and how do we capitalize on some things that are, that are new and different. A couple of years ago, we were looking at some research that had to do with, with people who were living with dementia. And this particular piece of research indicated that the part of our brain that processes music is unaffected by Alzheimer's. And so that got us thinking. And, and we know organizations have had great use using, you know, pop music from different eras in order to kind of, you know, still connect to people who are living with dementia. But we started thinking about circadian lighting and how circadian lighting sort of cues people into the rhythm of the day and wondering if music couldn't also or, or sound couldn't also create that. So we teamed up with a, a great organization. It was a, a composer. He's done movie scores and all kinds of things like that. A composer out of New York City and a tech company, a startup tech company. And we're working on developing a soundscape model for people who are living with dementia. It's kind of a well-being model that will help to to cue people in and keep them into the rhythm of the day, you know, kind of get going in the morning and have active parts of the day and quiet parts of the day and kind of wind down in the evening and, and preparing for bed. 
soundscapes that uh, help people to sleep better because we know that when people sleep, they're safer during the day. They fall less. Their moods are better. You know, they're, they're more energized. So, you know, all of that. And then soundscapes that are individualized and customized to the person that bring in biophilic sounds and, and you know, nat- nature sounds and, and melody lines and other kinds of things to create this customized soundscape that can help people to, when they're feeling anxious, to, to kind of calm down. If they want to get energized, you know, they can do that. If they're feeling depressed, you know. And so we've been working with them and, and testing out that model, and it is just incredibly exciting to see some of the developments there. So as we go forward, you know, those are all things, not only looking at new buildings and new campuses and things like that, but what are the new technologies and what are the new ways of thinking about our world that aren't pharmaceutical, that we can help to help people to live well and to live meaningful lives and to find purpose, Uh, even, by the way, if they happen to be living with dementia. It can get pretty exciting to start to look at some of those things. And there's so much new out there and so many talented people in the world, right? If you can kind of get those connections, it's amazing how innovative and and talented people can be. So we love that networking. Well, I think those are those are great words to end our discussion on today. So Steve Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on Transform. I thought this was a was a great discussion. So thank you so much. Oh, great. It's absolutely been my pleasure. Thank you so much. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our upcoming Build Conference happening in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com slash events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. Again, I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.